And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European Edition. Today, Champions League. Kuman and Goin at Barcelona ahead of their biggest game of the season. Pochwatch and PSG. Simeone's Cohunis come good. The Battle of the Bass and Ollie against the Bergamas and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, listener, here you are and here we are on what we're terming Tuesday the 2nd of November, start of a big week of European action. We've got that James Horncastle in. Hey, James. Hello. He's busy, listeners. He's taking time out from Conte writing to be with you today. Julian Laurent's also stepping away from one of the maddest schedules in, in broadcast. <laughs> Sincerely. Bonjour. Oui. Uh, Alvaro Romeo joining us too. Thanks, Alvaro. Hello, James. And, of course, Raphael Honigstein wouldn't miss this for the world. Hey, Raph. Hello, James. Woof. Are we all set for a big midweek? A, a midweek which could see teams already qualifying for the last 16 in the Champions League. It's true. Liverpool, Salzburg, Juventus, Ajax against Dortmund, and uh, Bayern as, as well. Among the big names at risk, Milan... And Barcelona too, crikey. It's going to be, this is nice now. We're into the second half of the group stage and things are getting, they're getting tasty. Things are already wrapped up, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a, there's a lot of football still to be played. But, uh, hey, I, you know, I'm just enjoying the fact that uh, we're beginning to see uh, things getting to the, towards the sharp end. Do you know what? Forget that. Let's just hear about your moments of the weekend. Alvaro, why don't you kick things off? Moments of the weekend, by the way, with Paddy Power. Yeah, my moment of the weekend is nothing related to what happens on the grass, per se. But I did like what happened at the Real Arena between Real Sociedad and Athletic Club because for the first time in a long time in Spain, I could see a crowd that uh, reminisced football pre-pandemic. Uh, there was like a, a really cheerful atmosphere, of course, with the slight... Uh, a slight amount of agro that I didn't like, like for example, people throwing things at Iker Muniain when taking the corners and all that, nothing dangerous, of course. But I felt that football in Spain was back for good because after seeing Bernabeu not being completed, Camp Nou being depleted because there are no fans basically supporting Barcelona, suddenly seeing that in uh, Real Sociedad uh, ground uh, you could see so many fans just going at it, it was very nice and as I said again, uh, it took me to football before March 2020. I was very glad to see that. Oh, lovely stuff. We'll hear about the Basque Derby a little bit later on. Julien, though, your moment of the weekend from Ligue 1. It has to be Wabi Kazri's incredible goal for Saint-Etienne uh, from 68 metres. I don't know how many yards that is in your weird uh, distance uh, calculating, but it's a lot, I can tell you that. La tentative de loin! Et quelle tentative! C'est extraordinaire! C'est bien joué, vous disiez! Mais c'est 
mieux que ça, c'est génial Rafa For me, James, it was seeing Florian Kohfeldt back on the bench, uh, his first game back in the Bundesliga since getting dismissed by Werder Bremen five and a half months ago. And of course, he goes to a team that's in the top four. Uh, not a bad career arc, if you will. Uh, and his first game at Wolfsburg uh, ended in a win, 2-0. What a return. Well, his second game is going to be a big one in a very tight-looking Champions League group. James Horncastle. Well, Cholo Simeone was my moment of the week last weekend because he scored four. Uh, he was also at it again uh, for Verona as they beat Juventus. Um, so my moment of the week is actually going to go away from Simeone, go to the sideline where Max Allegri was standing when he uh, tore off his jacket and threw it to the floor um, as he had done, what, maybe five years ago when... Uh, Juventus looked like they were going to throw away a win against Carpi, but Juventus now a, a mid-table team, as I'm sure we'll get to uh, when we talk about Serie a little later. All too soon, James, all too soon. We're going to begin, though, with Crisis Club Barcelona. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend, brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg on an exclusive no shop bets. T's and C's apply, 18 plus begambleaware.org. Barcelona in action on Tuesday away in Kiev. Hugely delicate fixture this with a new manager, Kun Aguero suffering a heart scare and fresh. From another set of disappointing results, Alvaro. First of all, since our last show, the midweek defeat to Raya Vallecano and uh, Ronald Koeman, as I think uh, Julien tweeted, bye-bye, Dutch guy. (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't like the guy, I'm sorry. I just didn't didn't think he was a good manager. Rafa was pretty bad too, it's not just me. You know, I've been a little bit more condescending with uh, Rona Kuman because I understand the difficulties of the job uh, he had in hands. But of course, uh, I think that Julian wasn't wrong when he was saying that he wasn't the right fit for Barcelona right now. I mean, last season he did an all right job, no more than that. And uh, this season I think that he basically was gone from the moment he said that with this squad he couldn't do anything else. I mean... uh, no manager uh, can um, just devalue a squad just uh, because he wants to, and that's not uh, the right thing. And, uh, you know, Barcelona kept on losing games against Rayo Vallecano. I think that they were slightly unlucky because Memphis missed the penalty, because then Gavi and Luke de Jong, they have a couple of good chances. They couldn't score, and Ronald Koeman was out. The same manager that uh, at the beginning of October was uh, endorsed by John Laporta and a couple of uh, board members uh, before the game against Atletico de Madrid was sacked. And, uh, you know, this is the end of Ronald Koeman. It's a shame that a Barcelona legend is living this way because he didn't even have that... Uh, moment at the beginning of his stint at Barcelona when he got together with the people, you know, because uh, I'm sure that in August 2020 or September 2020, when the league started last year, uh, had we have fans in the ground, at least for the first couple of games, uh, he would have felt that uh, Camp Nou likes him, you know, but he never had that. And uh, that's why I feel a bit sorry for him, because he's a Barcelona legend and he's living this way. Um, Barcelona has now an interim manager, Sergi Barjuan. Uh, he hasn't changed much. He doesn't want to. He doesn't have the time to do that. And Barcelona is facing probably the most important game of the season right now. I mean, 
all the disasters that Barcelona has been piling up over the last three or four years, they are crystallizing right now, in this moment, in a game against Dinamo Kiev. If they lose, they are effectively out of the Champions League. If they win, they are still alive in the competition. But, uh, you know, how did we come to this? It's, uh, it's the beginning of November, and this is a final for Barcelona already. Crikey. Well, I, a couple of questions before we get on to the Kiev match. First of all, what's the news on Aguero after he uh, went off to hospital for the cardiac scan, complaining of chest discomfort? And, and also, Sergio, you, you mentioned interim manager with a lot of talk of Xavi returning to rescue yeah. the club. Uh, is that really what's happening? And if so, when? Yeah, uh, number one, Kun Aguero slept on Saturday in the hospital on Sunday too, I believe. Uh, they are exploring... Uh, the degree of uh, the arrhythmia he had and if this may have repercussions in the future as well. Apparently he had this issue when he was 12 years old in one football game, so he was an alien to this problem, but uh, it repeated itself uh, on Saturday. Uh, he got a little bit scared, uh, he couldn't breathe very well, they took him out of the pitch and uh, even the most optimistic uh, medical reports, yesterday I was listening to a cardiologist in Cadena Cope, Spanish radio, and he was saying that he cannot envisage Agüero being back on the pitch for at least a couple of months. So let's see, but this is the reality of Agüero right now. And uh, when it comes to Xavi Hernández, well, it's not very sure that Joan Laporta wants him with eagerness. Uh, I believe that uh, Joan Laporta always doubted a little bit of Xavi. In fact, they asked him uh, this weekend about Xavi and uh, him and another board members say that there are some options. Uh, apparently, Joan Laporta did like Pirlo as well, did like Marcelo Gallardo, uh, manager of River Plate. But Xavi is the obviously the, the best option probably for Barcelona now because he wants to go to the club. Uh, the relationship with Laporta already exists. But the problem is that, number one, uh, if they sign Xavi and Xavi wants to bring part of his staff as well, uh, that is going to challenge Barcelona finances too. So it's still to be seen how they are going to put this in the financial books, how many people from Xavi's staff will Barcelona hire to, and if they will do this ASAP or not. Because if, let's say that they did it, which won't happen before the game in Kiev, mm. if Barcelona loses that game, uh, mm. Xavi will start with a big burden over his shoulders because Barcelona is pretty much out of the Champions League. So I think that they are going to make this uh, or take this step very carefully, but Xavi is the option number one. This Kiev game then, Dinamo Kiev yet to score in the Champions League this year, but they're also yet to concede a single goal at home in any competition so far this season. It was only 1-0 for Barcelona, what, 10-11 days ago when they last met each other. So what do you think, Alvaro? Well, I, I think that Dinamo Kiev uh, should uh, watch a couple of uh, games from La Liga and realise that Barcelona is doable right now. Rayo Vallecano beat them, Alaves got a draw against them. Cadiz didn't lose against them, so Dinamo Kiev shouldn't feel any inferior to all these three clubs that I mentioned. And uh, I believe that Barcelona will have to play very carefully this game, but at the same time knowing that uh, they'd better score the goals that are not scoring lately. Um, mm. It's not going to be easy if Fati or uh, Frankie de Jong are out, because it's still unsure whether they will uh, participate in this game. Dembélé could return as well, but he's been out for five months, so relying on a, on, on a man who is not 100% is not good. And yeah, there are so many players in the sidelines for Barcelona that uh, I find it difficult to be optimistic about this game. But on the other hand, if you told me two months ago, it's Dinamo Kiev versus Barcelona, who do you think is going to win? If I have to plump for a team, I will plump for Barcelona because I still believe that they got better players, but as I said, the situation is very dangerous right now. Wow, that's dramatic. 
Barcelona currently third in the group, one point behind Benfica. So I'm not so sure it is 100% them out if they were to lose this because Benfica, I think few people would expect them to pick up much in their game, which is away at Bayern, who have been kind of butchering their way through the group stage as usual. A Rafa, yet concede a goal. Uh, They can wrap up uh, their spot in the last 16 with a win here. What do you think? Benfica might have a chance because Bayern, I think, will rotate a little bit. That's something that Julian Nagelsmann has talked about before the game. He will be back, provided he tests negative after his uh, spell on the sideline or in his own kitchen due to Corona. But on the other hand, I think there's a, a danger, if you will, or a chance that Benfica will feel the wrath of this Bayern team who are still smarting from that 5-0 defeat against Borussia Mönchengladbach in the cup. Certainly they turned up at Union Berlin and uh, really got going and, and got that kind of negativity out of their system. And I think they want a similar reaction uh, at home to Benfica. So mm. I think there is a chance that they will try and turn it on. Yeah, for sure. Julian Nagsman, was he still in his kitchen when they were chopping up Union? <laughs> yeah. He was, but right. uh, the tears were very much on the other side. Nice. Uh, was Fisher, of course, making the point that Bayern are very, very difficult to play against, especially if you don't get the pressing right, you leave too many spaces, Bayern will punish you. The slight concern maybe is that they still looked a little bit shaky at the back, uh, conceded two goals. Um, I think there is um, a bit of concern with Lucas Hernandez's form. Nagelsmann called him out, saying his performances in training are perhaps not quite as focused as they could be. So maybe they're not infallible after all, but yeah, mm. they're of course huge favourites to, to go through this group without dropping any points. That 5-2 victory at the weekend, uh, taking them to 36 goals after 10 games, is the highest scoring start any team has made in Bundesliga history. But as you mentioned, perhaps the bigger story is the fact that they also lost... 5-0 uh, since our last uh, podcast. That was in the Pokal against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Die 57. Wieder Embolo. 5. 5. 5. 5-0 für Borussia Mönchengladbach. Their worst result in the history of the competition. Their heaviest loss in any competitive game since 1978 and a result which seemed to leave them in deep shock and bewildered, Rafa. Yes, they were. They were. They found it very hard to understand how they could play this badly. They conceded in the second minute and then they conceded two more before minute 21st and then the game was effectively over um, when they didn't manage to score a third but conceded a fourth one. I think it was one of those games that, that tend to happen to, to most teams, even in, in their really good runs. They, for whatever reason, don't turn up, lack a little bit of focus and just become entranced in, in, in their own da- downfall. Um, they, they couldn't quite believe what was happening. And we do know that Bayern, Bayern's brilliance is, of course, based upon playing a very risky game, if you will. They're, everyone's very high up the pitch. And then if your pressing isn't quite on point and if your organisation isn't quite there, then, of course, you, you leave huge gaps at the back. And Borussia Mönchengladbach, on this occasion especially with Braylon Baller having a fantastic game, really just took perfect advantage of it, played mm. some really good football and knocked Bayern out. But the overall feeling, if you will, is that this might well be a Pyrrhic victory 
for the rest of the competition um, because Bayern, once provoked and once chastened, don't tend to stick around licking their wounds too long, but actually take it out on the opposition. And we saw what kind of state they left Union in to see how that might play out in, in future weeks. Mm. Well, uh, next up for them, of course, Benfica in the Bundesliga. Bayern are one point clear of Borussia Dortmund, who, despite uh, their many absentees, had a 2-0 win over Köln. 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 And behind them, uh, three points off the top, are Freiburg, who will be facing Bayern next week. We talked about their extraordinary run, Rafa, but we, once again, they moved into the new ground now and celebrated with the 3-1 win over Grütefurt. Yeah, they did. And, of course, Grütefurt are by far the worst team in the league. They've only got one point from, from their opening 10 games and don't look as if they're going to win any game. And Freiburg made it not that easy for themselves because they they often struggle a little bit when it comes to opening up teams it's not really the game they're better when they can be a bit more reactive and and play a very pragmatic game they rely a lot on set pieces and things like that but yeah I mean their run is certainly impressive if they manage to make it 11 games unbeaten against Bayern next week then that would be a new club record right but of course it would also be an amazing result because it would theoretically at least after just under a third of the league, keep them very much in a title title race. If they win, they would even go level on points. Incredible. Incredible. Wow, looking forward to that. Uh, Very good. In a second or two, let's touch on some more of the midweek delights that await, including a Wolfsburg under their new boss, Florian Kufeld. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Who wants to talk about Group G in the Champions League? Me, because it's very tight. Nothing but a G thing, baby. Nice, Rafa. Red Bull, Salzburg, are four points clear. That bit's not so tight. And they could wrap up qualification for the knockout stages with a victory at this time around. They're going to be visiting Wolfsburg, who are under new management. The other game there is a little visiting Sevilla. Red Bull, though. Matas Yasler looking hotter and hotter, Rafa. Well, not so hot in the week, James, because they only had a 2-2 draw against Ried, but one or two substitutions and maybe that big Wolfsburg clash already in their mind um, made them ease off a little bit. But yes, in the Champions League, there along Ajax are the most exciting, sort of slightly unsung heroes although Ajax of course have much more pedigree and maybe it's unfair to mention them in the same context but in terms of budget and all these kind of things they are doing really really well and they're on the cusp of their first ever uh, knockout stage uh, participation so it's looking very good and I think Jaisles is also if he's not careful um, coming into the conversation as perhaps being Jesse Marsh's successor because Marsh is continuing to get some pretty underwhelming results. They only drew 1-1 against Frankfurt. The man who's, whose job he took 
or for whom he took over at uh, Red Bull Salzburg, and potentially uh, following on the next stage of his journey as well. Rafa Wolfsburg has been pretty grim fare so far in the group stages and probably in the Bundesliga too. Uh, are they are they looking a more uh, attractive proposition under Kofeld? And and do you reckon that they could get the result that they so desperately need against Salzburg? Uh, I think it's a bit early to say that they look more attractive, but they look more competent. He did the thing that all beleaguered managers seem to do with teams, which is to change to a back three hmm. in his first game, and it worked to the extent that they nullified Leverkusen in the second half. He made a couple of really good substitutions that swung. The tide in his favour, Lukubakio came on, Paulo Tavio came on. They set up the goals for Lucas and Macha and uh, Maxi Arnold. But I think what's interesting is the appointment itself because I think you don't find necessarily many leagues where a guy gets effectively relegated with Werder Bremen the season before after very narrowly escaping relegation the season before that and then comes back straight into a top four Champions League side. But I think it shows that there's a willingness to look beyond the results almost and to think of him as a, as a manager who perhaps was at the wrong place with Werder Bremen, who can play a more attractive football if given the right tools, the right players. And uh, let's see what happens. I wrote a, a column about this, wondering if you know what this says about the Bundesliga, that managers are given second, third and sometimes seventh uh, chances. Um, is that because there is... There are so few options or are perhaps clubs more willing to look beyond um, a name and look more at the substance of a manager or maybe it's a combination of both. Mm. If you want to find out more, James, I encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't done so already and uh, and have a look. Certainly will. I mean, I have already, so that's okay, but other people might want to do so. Behind Salzburg in that group, only one point between Sevilla, Lille and Wolfsburg. Sevilla and Lille, who face each other, are yet to win a game either of them. Even tighter than that group, though, is Group F, where you've got Villarreal, Young Boys, Atalanta and Man United, with only three points between them, with three games to go. Tuesday, it sees Young Boys at Villarreal and Man United at Atalanta. Paging James Horncastle. <laughs> this is this is going to be a big game in the Guise Guais Stadium. The first time they've had a really big club coming with, with the fans there to welcome them and, and I mean a huge game in in terms of the history of this club. Yeah, absolutely, because I think even though we've become accustomed uh, to seeing Atalanta in the Champions League over the last three years, um, they played their first season at San Siro because the uh, Garris was getting uh, renovated at the time and then last season uh, it was COVID. So even when Real Madrid came to Bergamo, unfortunately. Uh, the fans could not attend inside the ground, whereas this is different uh, now. And, well, I mean, let's hope we get a similar thrilling game to the one that we had at Old Trafford, mm. uh, where Atlanta were 2-0 up at half-time and then, then lost 3-2 as Solskjaer went to his bench and was able to bring on Pogba, Cavani and Sancho's, I think, combined value is, is more than Atlanta's entire squad. Yeah, Atlanta will take risks and they will hope to get their reward. Um, it's a Atlanta side that is far from full strength, as was the case two weeks ago, um, because um, yeah, they will perhaps be without one or two of their starting centre-backs. They're still without their starting wing-backs as well. And particularly Robin Gosens has been so influential and so decisive a player for them. 
in the last three or four years. Um, but yeah, I think if United go there and continue to improvise this system, which was good for a win against Spurs, but I think an absolute indictment on Nuno um, <laughs> to lose to a, a team coached uh, by Oli, who'd basically worked on that uh, on that system for what, four days. Um, I don't think he can go to Atalanta and, and, and improvise a system in in, in that way. So um, let's see. Although, having said that, Cristiano Ronaldo certainly had some good times playing against Atalanta when he was a Juventus player. Wow. I mean, you certainly you certainly put Gasparini in a bit of a position. If he now loses to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, what does, that, what does that say about him? United, I should mention, have lost their last three Champions League away games, but they did look in sparkling form with their new tactical setup at the weekend away at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Atalanta's form, not all that. I think it's one win in four. The weekend held to a 2-2 draw there at the Goes in Bergamo by Lazio. And only just scraping that point as well. Yeah, they played well though, um, particularly in, in the first half. Uh, I think they conceded really on the only chance um, that they gave up. They are not as explosive as they were in the past. Um, they feel like they get into the final third as well as they have done in, in other years. But that final ball, uh, that little spark of invention, um, at the moment it's just not coming as easily as it did. Maybe because Papu's no longer there. Maybe because Ilicic didn't show up at pre-season uh, in as good form as maybe he should have done. He needed to lose a bit of weight. Um, similarly, Muriel's had some of his injury problems. And as I say, Gosens, who's so important for them, has been missing. Um, I'm not putting pressure on Gasparini. I don't expect them to win because why should you expect a, a club um, that in Italy still has a wage bill that is bottom half of the table, um, you know, a squad value that uh, is, a, is, is a pittance uh, compared with uh, what United uh, throw at uh, their players every year. So, but, you know, we consider Atlanta a big club now. Um, yeah, they, they still have the club. They still have the name of a, uh, uh, a kind of small mid-table team in the, out in the provinces, but they've played and performed like a big club for five years now. So, I suppose that's where you know people always anoint them potential title challenge in, in Italy, and certainly when they've gone into these games against Liverpool, Ajax, even Real Madrid, there's there's a feeling that they can get a result. They can even win. All right, they're behind Villarreal. On goal difference in third spot, two points behind Man United. They need a big result on a Tuesday, which should be one of the, the games of the, of the round, or potentially might be. The other game in that group, by the way, is Villarreal against Young Boys. Uh, both sides had uh, disappointing results at the weekend. Young Boys, uh, who've now lost three of the last four matches in all competitions, uh, Unai Emery's Villarreal, are losing 2-0 at Valencia on Saturday, despite Alvaro having 75% possession. Crikey. Well, it happens a lot, and uh, probably that was uh, Bordalas' favorite day of his life. I mean, the manager of Valencia. I mean, because he, I think, I believe that he doesn't like dogmatic managers, and uh, he loads the possession stats and things like this. In fact, mm. his Valencia team is one of the teams that makes more faults in the league, and Getafe, the team he left, is still the team that does uh, the second doing more faults in the league as well. So his uh, footprint is that one. Uh, but when it comes to Villarreal, very quickly, they are missing Gerard Moreno so much, guys. I mean, uh, I thought last he came season back, he scored... Alvaro. Yeah, but he got another muscular injury. Oh. Yeah, uh, and he came back and he looked strong. But uh, mm. I think that he will miss this game. And from the likes of uh, Alcácer, 
Dia, Chukwese, even Jeremy Pino, all these guys that they are quality and they can, you know, deputize when Gerard Moreno is out there. These guys are at the minute not performing the level that they should be performing at. So Villarreal is missing Gerard Moreno for that reason a lot. And also the defense is not working perfectly uh, against Valencia. They consider two goals. Yeah, that is acceptable because that is a regional derby. But against... Uh, Cadiz uh, on Wednesday or on Tuesday they consider three at home. That is not acceptable for a team that wants to uh, push themselves up to the Champions League spots again. They are in mid-table now and Villarreal doesn't look good but I trust on Emery for these games because he's very good when it comes to preparing individual games especially in Europe. All right. Well we'll hear more about uh, Champions League very shortly but one of the big stories in Italy, James, meantime, is what's going on with Juventus. They're going to be taking on Zenit in the Champions League on Tuesday. Having had quite the week, really, two straight defeats to provincial sides, Sassuolo and then Verona, in the space of just four days, they've fallen to 16 points off the top of the table. So that looks like that for their title ambitions. And... Uh, a run of six straight wins suddenly disappearing into nothing. What What's happened? Allegri is saying that uh, they've thrown away six weeks' work in, in the space of four days. Um, and that this team doesn't play sides the bottom half the table or sides that, let's say, have an aspiration maybe to, to get into the Europa League with the same humility, same application that they do against the top sides. Remember, it was felt that... Juventus had turned their season around with that win uh, against Chelsea, uh, the European champions in, in Turin, uh, that they were winning games 1-0 again. But the issue uh, for Juventus is that when they don't keep clean sheets, um, and this is their worst defensive uh, performance uh, since 1961 at this stage of the season, they don't score enough goals um, to stay in games, win games, um, and uh, I think only on a few occasions, uh, what against Spezia, Sampdoria and Malmo, um, have they been able to score more than one goal. And you could say that this is a consequence of them uh, selling Cristiano or Cristiano telling them that he wanted to leave late in the transfer window and they kind of had to improvise on the hop. You know, they've lost a player who could pretty much guarantee them uh, 30 goals a season. But uh, I think it probably goes deeper than that. I think... Um, you know, Dybala, as good as he is, yeah, how often can you get him on the pitch? Because more often than not, he gets hurt. Um, yeah, he has scored 20 goals in a, in a season before uh, for Juventus, but that was his first season. Um, so that's some time ago now. Uh, Morata, you can get 20 goals out of him, as they did last season in all competitions, but he's a player who you remember more for the goals he misses than the goals he scores. And Moise Ken st is still young, so they're lacking something there. And again... Yeah, Juventus fans just, yeah, for years now have been talking about the midfield. The fact that um, Adrian Rabiot is still an enig enigma, um, that Aaron Ramsey uh, is is injured, um, that Artur last year, I mean, hasn't replaced Pjanic. He's often injured, takes too many touches and then too often plays assists for these smaller sides to actually win games. It happened with Benevento last year, silly ball across the box, happened against Verona at the weekend. So yeah, there's some real structural flaws, I suppose, to this Juventus side. Right. And uh, this weekend they came up with against possibly the form team right now in, in Serie A and Verona, who are on a remarkable run. Since Igor Tudor has uh, taken over their former Juventus assistant manager himself, they've beaten Roma and Lazio and now Juventus. And 
the, he's unleashed one of the goal-scoring phenomenons of European <laughs> football in Giovanni Sim- Simeone. Simeone, who scored four goals, all four of Verona's goals a week ago, as we, we were discussing last time out against Lazio, then getting both of their goals this time in the 2-1 victory over Juventus. You mentioned his stats, six goals off 1.45 XG, which frankly I don't understand, but apparently is amazing. Uh, 55% <laughs> conversion rate off yeah. uh, 11 shots. Cheapers. Yeah, I, I, I mean, analytics people would tell you that that is unsustainable and uh, it will catch up with him. And uh, you don't want it to catch up with him because it's uh, it's a nice story. I think um, with, uh, with Giovanni, it sometimes feels like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders because, uh, you know, strikers are judged on scoring goals. Um, and he's... He's everything that you you want a striker to be. You know, he's dynamic. He's hardworking. He runs the channels. Um, he's good in the air. But the criticism was that he's got everything from that a striker needs apart from the goals. Uh, he doesn't score enough of them. Um, and um, I think he's yeah he's often given the impression of being fed up of always being asked about his dad after every after every goal that he scores after every man of the match performance. He's always asked, you know, what's your dad made of that? What do you think? You know, for example. Those four goals against Lazio, oh, that was your dad's old team. What's that like? Um, scored against Juventus, oh, that would have meant something for your dad being an ex-Inter player, wouldn't it? And it's just like, actually, I'm Giovanni Simeone. I've got my own life. I'm doing my own thing. Right. Um, but um, At least we know yeah, why I mean, Diego's always pointing at his cojones, though, because, I mean, that, that's some pretty phenomenal <laughs> DNA that he's got locked away down there. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, remember, uh, Giovanni was on that team at Fiorentina, which had uh, Federico Chiesa, and it had Yanis uh, Hadji. So they, they had the, the offspring of, uh, mm. of Georgie, Enrico and Diego all in the same team. And obviously Federico has gone on and, and he's probably the, the bigger name of, uh, of the three. In fact, undoubtedly the bigger name of the three. Um, but um, yeah, great to see him scoring goals. And it's yeah, a testament to the work that Igor Tudor has been doing. You mentioned how well they've been playing. Um, it's the third best record in the league since he took over. Only Napoli and Milan, who've dropped two points all season, have done better in that time. They're the top scorers in Tudor's um, time in charge as well. And um, yeah, he's looked at players like Simeone, looked at players like Nikola Kalinic as well. Um, players who were thought of as having plateaued, being on the decline, and he's got them scoring. And uh yeah, as much as they say that, yeah, their objective for this season is to stay up and and, and survive. You know, people are beginning to think, Ooh, could there be a Europa League or a Conference League team? So let's see. All right, next time out for them, it is Napoli. Wouldn't it be a story if they beat them? That's next weekend. Juve, meantime, mentioned sixteen points off the top. Now they are though top in their Champions League group, three points clear of Chelsea and six from third place Zenit, who will be visiting them at the Allianz Stadium. Incherin on Tuesday. Juve with Bayern, uh, one of only two sides to concede a goal, yet concede, sorry, a goal in these group stages. They're currently uh, living in a hotel, Partridge style as well. Um, Who are? Because Juventus, because they are, they're in retiro, you know, they've been punished ah. for their bad form. Um, so they'll play Zenit and then they'll go back to the Juventus hotel next door to the stadium. Uh, and they they won't be allowed out until uh, until uh, after the weekend's game uh, as well um, to really get them to focus their minds and think about what they've done. Absolutely, Zenit, by the way, who Juve beat in St Petersburg one nil, are on a bit of a run of form. Since then, they have downed Spartak Moscow seven one, and then Dynamo Moscow 
4-1. Crikey. So, hmm, could be a difficult opponent injuring on Tuesday. The other game in that group is Malmo against Chelsea, which looks a bit more straightforward. Malmo yet to score, while Chelsea have an absolutely brilliant defence, etc. and so on. Very good. Next up, let's hear about Ligue 1. Here at Paddy Power, we know being realistic can mean different things to different people. A realistic fullback doesn't pay attention when a fan tells him to shoot from 40 yards out. And a realistic Arsenal fan won't be making plans for Champions League away days anytime soon. So for Safer Gambling Week, we want to make sure that all our customers have set themselves a realistic deposit limit on their accounts, so you never bet more than you can afford. Search Paddy Power Deposit Limit to set yours. Paddy Power. 18plusbegambleaware.org on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic. This is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Julien Laurence, Ligue 1, Paris Saint Germain, eight points clear of Nice, who finally played their game in hand with Marseille. That's nice. In midweek, it was a 1-1 draw. A Sunday night, a Paris Saint-Germain uh, beating Lille, last year's champions. Noted French journalist Julien Laurent's tweeting, don't get me started on Pochettino. What's going on, Jules? <laughs> yeah, it was Friday night. It was just bad. It was really bad. The Argentine bad. guy. Yeah, the Argentine guy. Uh, maybe the last 20 minutes was, was a bit better. And Di Maria certainly was the best player by far. But again, it's... Individual brilliance that made them win that game. They don't deserve to win it, like against Leipzig, for example. There, there's just nothing in the game collectively. No, no movement, no passing patterns, nothing. And they won, of course, and they've won pretty much all of this of the game so far. One defeat only, and and a draw. With two draws, one in the Champions League, one in the league, and that's it. And the rest is only wins. But I don't think he's good enough with the players that he has. Messi came off at half time. He was a bit injured, but he was. He was poor for the first half. Icardi came off the second half, missed two huge chances. Probably he was more thinking about one dad than about actually the game in itself. It was just, it's not good. You know, it's not, it's not good. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. Jules, there's a lot to unpack from that. First of all, are uh, Mauro Icardi and Wanda, uh, are they back together? What's they the are indeed now. Okay, they good. Despite official. after it's signing official. divorce papers, you know, yeah. Mauro sent her a lovely letter which made her change her mind and said, no, we must stay together. She said, without you, I have nothing. Yeah, well, that's not true, really. She would have taken him to the cleaners, I guess, if they divorced. But, you know, it's probably better. I think she's thinking about things, you know, beyond money, Jules. That's, yeah. Anyway, but uh, returning to the subject of Paris Saint-Germain, Leo Messi, crikey, we mentioned this in uh, Monday's show. He's the player in Liga who's had the most shots without scoring. No goals in five matches now for Paris Saint-Germain. That's a bit of a concern. But broadly speaking, there'll be a lot of people listening to this who go, well, hang on, Jules. PSG are top of Liga, eight points clear. They're top of their Champions League group ahead of Man City. And you're still complaining about Pochettino. Are you possibly a little bit spoiled that PSG are no, not no. winning well enough? No, no, it's not that. It's good to win, of course. And he said yeah. in an interview on Sunday that winning is everything in Paris, blah, blah, blah. I just, I just don't think it's good enough because there will be a point where you're not going to win those games. Lille deserves to win. They can play the same game another nine times and they will win it. Same with Leipzig, same with City, same with 
a lot of other teams that they faced this season. So and 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 smaller teams than than the one that I just mentioned. So I don't think he's good enough because because there's a limit to it. Uh, and and you're not going to win the Champions League certainly if you don't play better collectively than than what they've shown so far, even if they beat Leipzig already or or City. So that's why it's not. And I think it's fair. And we saw Leonardo coming out after the game. He ha- he hadn't spoken for a long time. You know the the thumb up guy, mm. but he came out to protect Pochettino. <laughs> why did you call true. him the thumb up guy? Because every time you see him and he sees you, he goes thumbs up. <laughs> with a big smile and he's a very handsome man but that's what yeah. he does so we call him the thumb up guy in Paris Okay. Uh, and you knew when he was coming out so he said the criticism towards Poch was out of order because uh, there's a lot of people on French radio in the newspapers on French TV saying that he doesn't really know what he's doing well, that he's not doing much because we don't see it on the pitch so Leonardo defending him defending Messi saying that he needs a bit of time to adapt to get used to the whole new environment, etc., which mm. I, I agree more with Messi than with Pochettino, to be fair. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's rare for, for Leonardo to come out like this uh, in a defensive mode, but he did it on Friday night. Jules, you're 60% approximately of the people on French TV and radio, so uh, has That's Leonardo true. appealed to you directly to, to stop briefing against I think that maybe the thumbs <laughs> up was a bit for me, but I just think he's fair. He's been at the club since January, and we're yet to see some improvement in the way they play as a team. And I just don't think that's good enough for now. I'm not saying that it's only his fault, that he will never come. I'm just saying that I'm getting a bit impatient and certainly a lot of fans are getting a bit impatient now. And I think the criticism towards Pochettino, hence the Leonardo def- you know, defence of him, is, is getting a bit bigger now in media as well. Mm. I still love him though, you know. I still love him. Sergio Ramos, Jules, the Parisian, is saying that... You can have uh, him back. He's, he's nothing to me. He's nothing to me anymore. Atletic Bilbao. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the Madrid um, guy. The Madrid guy. Um, <laughs> what a disappointment, anyway. You know, he, he, he's old, and I guess his knees are even older, and his calves as well. So I think the club, well, certainly what, what was written in Le Parisien was that... It was quite vague in the sense that the club could be thinking of maybe finishing his contract early, that kind of stuff, but not, not something that they would do now. I think they, they will see until the international break, see where his fitness is then. And, and I think then you'll have to take a decision because, come on, man, he's been there four months now and he can't even train with the team. Jules, situation in the group. Paris Saint-Germain are top, but only one point clear of Man City. Bruges are three points back in third uh, with Leipzig on nil points so far and it's Leipzig who hosts Paris Saint-Germain. That uh, that first leg between the two of them, or the reverse fixture anyway, was a little bit tighter than I think uh, some people anticipated. Uh, no, are you concerned that things might take a wrong turn in Leipzig? I think it could happen. Well, I, I still think Leipzig could have, should have won that game in Paris uh, and it's only really, uh, once again... Uh, towards the end that PSG came back once again when Pochettino changed his formation and went to a back three so I'm really hoping he will start with a back three uh, this week in Leipzig on Tuesday because I think this is the not not the answer to everything but certainly the way forward but but yeah I think this Leipzig team will score goals and they will also concede so it all depends who scores the most I mean it's a bit cliche but this is this is the thing both teams will concede and both teams will score I'm just I just think that this Leipzig team can score more than PSG will. Oh, right. Okay, which could make things delicate. Very Um, much so. Man City, meanwhile, will be up against uh, Club Bruges, who they beat 5-1 last time out, and that will be at the Etihad 
Jules, wrap up a couple of other points on Liga just while we're here. Uh, you mentioned Wabi Kazri's goal for Saint-Étienne against Metz, which sincerely was phenomenal. 68 mm. metres from goal he incredible. was. It was so, incredible. It was a corner for Metz. Mm. And then, like, half halfway through his half, just lobbed the keeper. Incredible. It got them a point, uh, Claude Boyle's side, in the, uh, the draw with Metz. They're still bottom of the table. One other goal-scoring exploit you'd like to tell us about, Jules? It's Jimmy Briand at Bordeaux mm. because they were 2 0 down. Uh, Vladimir Petkovic struggling a little bit to get his message across. I think it's difficult for him. Uh, and and they came back and, and won that game. And Jimmy Briand was 36 and 36 in August. So almost 36 and a half with two goals. It's a player that he didn't want at the club anymore, that he's still on the contract, so he's there. One of those experienced players like Koscielny uh, mm. at the back who took them out of. Uh, of a big hole once again. I mean, it's still not good enough for, for, for a big club like that, but at least that win is a big breath of fresh air thanks to Jimmy Briand. Well, he's now scored in 17 different League 1 campaigns. Almost as good, but not quite as good as Ibra, who was back on target again. We'll be talking about that very, very shortly as we move on to other stuff from Wednesday. Stuff, for example, in Group B where Liverpool are well clear. They're five points clear of Atletico Madrid, who they're going to be hosting. The other game in that group is Milan against Porto, which is absolutely crucial. Uh, Milan coming into this with a big win away at Roma Sunday night. And Zlatan, who we may have cast aspersions about how real a presence he was going to have this season for, for Milan. Boy, did he demonstrate just how vital a player he can still be uh, at the Stadio Olimpico. <laughs> he did indeed, James. Um, wonderful free kick, his 400th goal uh, in domestic league competition. Uh, I think he'd been on Telefoot, Jules. Um, Sunday morning, yeah. He doesn't surprise himself anymore because why would he be surprised? He's the best. Um, and uh, I mean, beyond the goal, uh, there was that incredible kind of volleyed chest pass um, to Leao, which uh, Leao scored, but he was offside. Ibra had a goal uh, declared offside. Ibra won a penalty. So it was pretty much a, a kind of complete performance uh, from Zlatan, whose uh, coach, Stefano Pioli, says that he just doesn't even have to go in the dressing room and give mm. team talks anymore because Zlatan can take care of that. Um, so Stefano Pioli almost talking himself out of a contract extension there by revealing who's the true coach at, uh, at Milan, I jest. And not um, just at Milan, James, he's also coaching PSG's players as well, Ibra. Yes, uh, Jules, I, I, I'm curious to hear what, uh, what you thought about his comment that uh, since he left, Liga has become boring. Uh, you then swipe right and see Messi's picture. <laughs> <laughs> and then his team his team in Paris was better than the current one with Messi, Neymar and Mbappé, which I'm sure made them very happy to know as well. It was, it was a really good interview, to be fair. All right. He also said that Mbappé should surround himself with, with, not with people who tell him how good he is, but people who challenge him, which... Yeah, I'm mm. not sure... I'm not not sure thumbs up guys. Satan. He's surrounded by thumbs up guys. This is the problem. <laughs> that was clearly like, yeah, get Mino as an agent. He would tell you the truth, you know. It's, right. uh, that's how I watched it, for sure. Right. Uh, uh, now, there you go. Well, anyway, that was a big win for Milan Sunday night. They need another one as they welcome Porto because they are bottom of the group. And, uh, well, not many teams have managed to come back from that kind of position three games into a, 
Group Stage A, James Horn Castle? Well, it's it's a Lombard specialty, isn't it? Mm. Because this is what uh, Atalanta did down the road a few years ago. Um, something you all had to buy me lunch or dinner. Can't remember which one uh, because uh, I backed them. Uh, I think it's going to be more difficult though for Milan than it was for Atalanta because Atalanta were in a group, yes, with City, but also with Shakhtar and uh, Dynamo Zagreb. Um, whereas uh, Milan are probably in the group of death, you have to say. Um, okay, the two of their last three games are at San Siro, so maybe Liverpool come to uh, Milan having already qualified uh, and and might rest a few players ahead of the kind of packed Christmas schedule in the Premier League. We'll have to see, but everything essentially rests on whether they can get a win uh, against Porto uh, tomorrow night. Mm. For the moment, they keep pace at the top of the table. Uh, with Napoli, both teams yet to be beaten. They've only dropped two points each after 11 rounds. Porto beat Milan in the reverse fixture 1-0 uh, almost a fortnight ago. The other game in the group featuring, as you mentioned, Liverpool and Atletico Madrid. Atleti will be without Alvaro the suspended Antoine Griezmann, who was so key uh, to their chances in the first leg. Yes, and he played very well on Sunday against Betis too. He was basically the architect of all Atletico de Madrid attacks. I did like the way he played. He won't be at Anfield, uh, but I believe that Atletico de Madrid, they have found a way to attack better than they were doing back in October, back in September. And it's all about uh, making sure that the guys who can take on an opponent actually win the one-on-one -on -one duel. Uh, they've got many players who can do that. Correa, Joe Felix, Yannick Carrasco, who scored a beautiful goal against Betis as well. And I think that if you want to beat Liverpool, sometimes collectively, you cannot just uh, negotiate their pressure. But if you have people like Joe Felix or Correa who can actually dribble past, then that generates some advantage for your team and for Atletico indeed. And I think that that will be the plan, basically, to make sure that the best dribblers, they get the ball in influential areas. But as I said before, I think that Liverpool is a better team. Pretty much say that... Uh, in the reverse fixture, Liverpool was overwhelmingly favourite. That was proven for 10 minutes, not for the rest of the 80 minutes. Even Atletico was good with 10 men against Liverpool in mm. the reverse fixture. But I believe that for this game, this is going to be probably Liverpool attacking and uh, Atletico and Madrid making sure that they do very well in the counter-attack. I expect Atletico to be better uh, right now than they were a month ago because they are improving quite a lot. My only question is, will Luis Suarez play or not? Because mm -hmm. away from home is the Champions League. We know that he's not a decisive striker. And uh, based on the form of Joao Felix and Correa, I think that they both should be featuring. OK, Liverpool with a fair old margin at the top of uh, Group B. They're five points clear of Atletico and Porto. Milan are bringing up the rear with no points whatsoever. Of course, Atletico Madrid won on their last visit uh, to Anfield a couple of seasons back. Mm. What's up next? Let's get on to some of the other delights on Wednesday, including another massive Dortmund Ajax clash. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, 
day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Two other groups taking place on Wednesday. There's Group Z, where there's that key game for Dortmund at home to Ajax. And in D, where Sheriff are still top, but they're now level with Real Madrid, with Inter two points behind, having beaten the Transnistrians uh, last time out. Uh, they will uh, have to go, the Nedozuri to the non-existent Transnistria uh, this time around. We'll talk about that in a second, but hands up. Who's looking forward to Dortmund Ajax? Rafa's got his hand up. Go, Rafa. I'm really looking forward to the game, James, because Ajax was so, so good uh, two weeks ago at the Johan Cruyff Arena. And Dortmund were completely overwhelmed and I think had underestimated just how good Ajax were. And I think, on the one hand, I'm hoping that Dortmund will, will show up and will provide a lot more resistance, but I'm also just excited to see Ajax play again. Um, I, I've done a very big piece for The Athletic looking mm. into their re-emergence, if you will, uh, on the international scene. And sort of the objective facts would suggest that they're as good as they were two years ago when they made it all the way to the to the final. Well, they should have made it all the way to the final. They made it wow. all the way to the semi-final of the mm. Champions League and lost in dramatic fashion. What is it about this one-sided game that so appeals to you? <laughs> I think it might be less. It might be less one-sided this time, James. Even if it is one-sided, I think as a neutral, uh, we can all enjoy Ajax playing beautiful football. Yeah, so, and also either way, uh, going back and watching the uh, the first game between them, Haaland could have scored three goals, easy. I mean, he hit the crossbar. He had two other chances. Yeah, in a four-nil, Haaland could have sco- could have had a hat trick. Uh, in the end, he didn't score any. This time around, he's not going to not going to be available. Is that right, Rafa? That's correct. There you go. He won't be game. available for a little while, right? Mm. December. Yeah. But Dortmund have Stefan Tigges. Tigges scored his first goal uh, in his uh, career in the Bundesliga at the weekend. So they do have have options, but okay. yes. Harlem What's happened to the kid Mukoko, who we're all excited about because he scored 3,000 goals yeah, for he, Dortmund's youth team? He's been injured a bit. Um, I think he'll be back for this game. Daniel Marlin also hasn't quite yet played, I think, as well as, as they had hoped for. But no, Dortmund have options. The problem, as you know, is, is not so much what they do in attack, but how do they defend? Mm. And even against Köln... I thought they got a little bit lucky that they didn't concede a goal because Köln had lots of chances. Okay, I certainly know all about scoring goals. Only Bayern have had more goals than them in the group stage so far. Although this weekend they did draw a blank, nil-nil uh, at Heracles in the Eredivisie. Uh, they will qualify for the knockout stages if they get a better result than Sporting Lisbon do in their clash at home to Besiktas. Isn't Heracles the nanobot uh, blood thing in uh, No Time to Die? Or is that Pericles? I can't remember. Can't help you with that. 
We'll move on to Group D, where there are two fixtures, listener. One is Real Madrid against Shakhtar. The other is Sheriff against Inter. Now, we were anticipating Shakhtar doing one on Real Madrid last time out because they did that last season. And instead, Real Madrid tore them apart 5-0 in Kiev. Crikey. Is it going to be more of the same at the Bernabeu? And what about Inter? Can they have two kind of logical, consistent results in a, in a row? Or are they going to blow up away at Sheriff? Alvaro, first on Real Madrid. Well, I think Real Madrid, they beat Shakhtar and they beat them convincingly with a mm. great game of Vinicius Jr., by the way. You know, last week, many Madrid-based newspapers, they were complaining that Tite didn't call Vinicius for the next uh, November internationals that Brazil is playing and they were just uh, laughing about the fact that uh, Philippe Coutinho, who is not playing well for Barcelona, uh, has been capped by the Brazilian coach, even though Brazil is virtually qualified for the World Cup and probably Tite wants to test a little bit a few a few players here and there but Vinicius is playing very well and uh, he scored a couple of goals against uh, Elche in the weekend, one of them with the left foot, uh, proving that he is not um, a clumsy player in the box anymore, and then a beautiful chip over the goalkeeper. Uh, I think that Real Madrid comes as a favorite for this game. I don't see uh, Shakhtar putting Madrid in big trouble, because I know that Shakhtar can be a little bit slow, very good on the ball, but a little bit slow, and Real Madrid, since they have uh, recovered the back line that uh, Ancelotti prefers to have, uh, they are being very consistent. So, Real Madrid comes as a favorite uh, for this game. I mean, I'm not saying secret here, but I believe that there are a few things that are happening in Madrid that, uh, you know, shouldn't go unnoticed. Number one, Eden Hazard is no longer important. I mean, to the point that, uh, you know, the other day Asensio came out uh, on the pitch before him. And uh, the other one is that, uh, you know, Vinicius uh, is scoring so many goals that his goal projection right now will be over 25 until the end of the season if he keeps with with his run. So, you know, these are good news for Real Madrid. I believe that they are in a decent moment right now, just uh, making sure that they don't lose grip with Real Sociedad at the top of the table. Yeah, I would say that they are favourites here. OK. And what about Inter, who've only had one defeat in the last 10 matches in all competitions? I don't know why I'm still tiring them with this brush of inconsistency, James, except for the fact that they're Inter. That's what they do. Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, they have been unlucky in the Champions League. Um, yeah, I mean, particularly last year, uh, they did enough performance-wise, to get out of the group. Um, but look, six games, it's not a lot. If you, if you don't take your chances, um, then you will go out. Um, and you know, as frustrating as it was to see Inter draw against Shakhtar again uh, on match day two, as frustrating it was to see Inter outplay Real Madrid for a, an hour at San Siro and then concede right at the end, um, yeah, they should... They should take six points from six against uh, Sheriff and then and then go into those final two games with uh, with everything to play for. So, you know, it hasn't been perfect so far under Simone Inzaghi. Yes, they are still just about hanging on um, to uh, Napoli and Milan at the top of, of Serie A. But uh, it's a team that plays a little bit more open than Conte's Inter, which isn't to say Conte's Inter weren't attacking, they, they were. But certainly they're a little bit more fluid and sometimes when they defend higher up the pitch they get caught out on the counter-attack. And that was one of the things actually that was quite striking again watching Sheriff play at San Siro. They did have chances on the counter-attack. Mm. Um, they looked like a well-drilled counter-attacking team who knew how to hurt Inter. Um, 
so yeah, let's see. It's as you say, uh, despite that record, um, it is Inter. Ragazzi, it's Inter. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Well, they, they're two points behind Sheriff and Real Madrid, who are jointly on six points. Sheriff, of course, who've already beaten Shakhtar at their place and won at the Bernabeu and became thus pretty much the story of the Champions League. There'll be a lot of neutrals who would love to see them pull out another another big result, get another big scalp, as it were, and perhaps get a place in the knockout stages would be incredible. All right. That is the Champions League midweek. Let's finish off uh, with a very special game for a very special person. Real Sociedad against Athletic Club de Bilbao. It was 1-1, Alvaro, but left you feeling warm and fuzzy. A ver, arranca el 10, arranca Iker, le pega Muniain. Gol del Athletic Club en el descuento. Gol de Iker Muniain. It felt very sweet, I'm telling you, because we got the equalizer in the last minute of the game. Uh, with a free kick from Muniain, uh, the goalkeeper Remiro uh, made a mistake because he tried to punch the ball and he punched it into his own goal. Mm. And uh, Remiro played for Athletic in the past. Uh, he left to Real Sociedad. That didn't go down well at Bilbao. And on top of that, when... Uh, Real Sociedad beat Athletic Club Bilbao in the cup final. Unai Remiro made fun of Iñaki Williams in social media. So that was kind of, you know, uh, a cold revenge for Athletic Club Bilbao in a way. I have to say that I was listening to Cañizares after the game. You may remember this guy because he was a goalkeeper for Valencia and Real Madrid, Santi Cañizares. And he was... Uh, he was very interesting because he was saying that nowadays goalkeepers uh, they are taught to to punch the ball more than uh, more than keeping it or mm -hmm. grabbing it, and he was saying that uh, nowadays uh, the trainings go more about uh, playing with the feet. And uh, in his opinion, the goalkeepers are advised to punch the ball too much, and he says that every time we are saying, "Oh, what a great save!" because he punched the ball, he says. In Cañizares' eyes, that is not a good save. A good save is grabbing the ball. And I was thinking about it and saying, yes, you're right. Because many times uh, the goalkeeper goes for the easy option, just punching it. The only thing is that this time didn't work for Ramiro. But the game was very nice. The atmosphere was fantastic, as I said at the beginning of the show. I think Real Sociedad was good, but not better than Athletic Club Bilbao. There were a couple of uh, controversial incidents that could have gone our way. Like, for example, a possible penalty on Iñaki Williams. That didn't happen. Then Real Sociedad got a penalty on Merino. On a similar challenge, I would say. And... Uh, I believe that uh, the game showcases very well the level of the mid-teams in La Liga. Well, Real Sociedad is not a mid-team anymore because they are top in the table, mm. but it showcased that uh, there are some teams, aside from the theoretical top four, that they are playing very good football. I did like it, and I do believe that uh, Athletic Club Bilbao show what they are capable of, especially mm, when they play with a daring approach, and it shows as well that Real Sociedad, uh, as much as I like the way they attack, they are a team that they are becoming fierce competitors as well. They are among the four teams that make most faults in the league. They know how to stop your rhythm, your game, and that's why they are in the Europa League and they are being competitive against the likes of Monaco. Mm. Very good game. And top of the uh, table, as you say, one point clear of Real Madrid and Sevilla, although both those sides do have a game in hand. Is it? Is it that frequent that players leave one of the Basque sides for another? In the past, there have been many players who have played for Athletic Club Bilbao and Real Sociedad. Joseba Echeverria being probably one of the most famous of all of them, uh, to the point that when we signed Joseba Echeverria from Real Sociedad at the age of 17, 
those two clubs didn't have any deal between each other for a number of years that didn't go down well at San Sebastián. And currently, our captain, Inigo Martinez, was the former captain of Real Sociedad as well. So, as you can see, there are players who play for Real Sociedad and Athletic de Bilbao during their careers. Lovely stuff, Alvaro. Well, with an exciting midweek in prospect then, that's where we'll leave it for today's show. Thursday, of course, we'll be rounding up all of the Champions League action in the regular Totally Football show. For now, though, it's many thanks to Rafa, to Jules, to James, to Alvaro, and producer Charlie. Thank you, listener, for being with us, and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Totally Football show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.